Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, to whom can we go if not to you? On what can we stand if not on the power of the promises of your word? And Father, we pray this morning as the message goes forth, that your Holy Spirit will come and continue with us. That your holy angels will surround us and that a power from on high will reach into the hearts and lives of those who are here, those who are watching, listening. And that we will know that whatever may be our state, We can take it to the Lord in prayer. Now empower this message, Lord, and strengthen, I pray, my mind and my heart, for I desire one thing, and that is to give the glory and honor just to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You know, there's a time when you hear a song And there's a time when through a song you hear the voice of God. Thank you, Danielle, for allowing the Lord to use you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 through 3. I read in God's word, arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It was August 10th, 1996. I was pastoring the Fairfield Church. We were there. That's in Fairfield, California. Thank you, honey. We were not there long, but it was one of those hot California days. Hot and dry. And it's not unusual in California for the heat to be so dry that you can't tell that it's in the low 100s. I just finished preaching my sermon. We drove home as we have on other occasions. And pulling into our garage, I pressed the garage door opener and nothing happened. Well, I thought maybe I didn't press it right. I pressed it again, still nothing. And then I thought, wait a minute. And I pressed it and held it long just in case the battery was dying and still nothing happened. 
I thought to myself, how are we going to get in the house? Because as New Yorkers, we don't leave windows unlocked or doors in the back of the house unlocked or anything opened. And I thought, this is really strange. It worked just fine this morning. We tried alternate ways to get into the house only to realize that everything was securely locked tight. Coming to the realization that everything we needed was in the house, but there was no way to get to it. But then we noticed a few people coming outside of their houses in our neighborhood. And I thought to myself, how strange that while we're going through this, people are coming out of their homes. Are they looking at us? Are they coming to help us? And I discovered, no, they're coming out of their homes looking around. And then I turned on our radio only to find out that there was a blackout in our neighborhood. The Lord kept the light on long enough for me to finish my sermon at church. And between church and coming home, the lights went out. As I was listening to the radio continually, I realized, wait a minute, it's not just in this neighborhood, it's in California. It's in the Bay Area. It's not just in California, it is the West Coast. It's not just the West Coast, but it's portions of Western Canada. And I came to find out that the entire West Coast, including Western Canada, had experienced a power failure. The power grid that supplies power to millions of homes had been overburdened due to the, the overwhelming demand to provide energy for all the air conditioners and it just couldn't handle it. And the news broadcaster said, there was a power grid failure. And let me tell you, it was midsummer in California. Well, and this is very important. Everything we needed was right in front of us, but we could not access it. We couldn't get to our water. We couldn't get to our food. We couldn't get to our clothing. We couldn't get to anything in our house. We saw it, but we had no access to it because the power was completely shut off. I never forgot that because we spent the greater part of the afternoon and the early evening in our vehicle. We had no place to go. We were in our suit. We just listened to the radio, turned the vehicle on and off to maintain the battery and not cause that to die. And how exciting it was when we decided, well, we've been out here long enough. Let's see if it works. And we hit that button, Karen, and the garage door came up. And it was like we had a reprieve. God gave us one more chance. I thought about that in light of this passage in the Bible. Because the Bible had, is making it very clear that the world we live in is approaching two types of darkness. Darkness will one day cover the inhabitants of the earth. And the second kind of darkness is going to be even deeper and gross darkness or deep darkness, the people. And if you look at our world today, our world is priming itself 
for the approaching hour of one of the most unavoidable events of darkness in the history of humanity. But right now our world is priming itself. And if you look carefully enough, you'll find there's darkness on every side. But what the word of God just said to us in that hour of gross darkness, when the world and all of its power sources have been forever crippled, when God pulls the plug, when God calls on humanity in a descending hour of darkness and says to the world, this is what you have desired and this is what you shall receive. Similar to the land of Egypt. God covered the land of Egypt with a darkness so, so dense that they could not see their hands in front of their eyes. But why did God do that? Because they desired darkness. In the media, there's darkness. In the music, there's darkness. In the entertainment, there's darkness. In every facet of society, the world is priming itself. And it seems as though there is this insatiable desire, this insatiable appetite to make the next thing darker than the last thing. And God is saying, if this is what you desire, you'll have this. But in that hour of unavoidable darkness, God is going to keep his people lit up so that those looking for the light will still be able to find it. The world is collectively arising at a time of unpredictable apprehension. Who could have predicted that our world would be the way that it is today? Who could have? God did. God's word. And I'm learning as we look at what's happening around us, we are confronted by this indiscriminate contagion, not only disease, but moral contagion, financial contagion, family contagion. There's something that is happening in our world today that seems to be happening almost simultaneously. There is, there is an irreversible, fearful anxiety that is hovering over humanity. It is grabbing us politically, socially, economically. Did you hear recently what's happening in Colorado? The Colorado River, the, the, the water supply that provides water to California and to Arizona is at the lowest levels it has ever been. The Folsom River is almost completely dry. And the, and the powers that be are saying, we are entering a phase on the West Coast where water is available, but we have to enter the stages of rationing until the rains will come. And I was amazed to hear the news reporter say, this is the time that we need to pray for rain. On the, on the regular news, we need to start to pray for rain. Farmers are saying, without the rain, the crops will be diminished. The supply chains are going to go down. You see, one deficiency affects another, creates another deficiency. And I looked at that river that supplies the power, even the power source at that grand power supply, that dam there in, in Colorado that provides power. It provides power based on the amount of water. And they said they ha they've had to lower the output because they don't have enough water to turn the turbines. How God can easily cripple society by simply saying it is done. And the day is coming when God is going to bring upon man not only calamity and disease, 
But God is going to allow Satan to have control of the finally impenitent, those that have chosen not to listen to God while the light is still shining. My brethren, if there's ever a time that the people of God need to be hovering over, filling their minds with truth, establishing, refamiliarizing themselves with prophecies that are coming to pass before our eyes, this is the hour that God's people are to get back to the light. Unquenchable fires are consuming life. And fires are indiscriminate. They don't care how much money you have. In California, the wealthy, as well as the poor, face the same dilemma. The medical society, the social society, the economic, the financial, the religious. Citizens of the world are in solemn awe when they look at what's happening on planet Earth. God is saying through all these events that we are standing before the hour that the Lord has predicted will come. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But when it gets better, it's going to be better eternally. In testimonies, we are told in this quotation, volume 9, page 43, we are on the verge, the very verge of the time of trouble and perplexities that are scarcely dreamed of are before us. What we're being told by the servant of the Lord is she's saying, stretch your imagination as far as it can go, and you can scarcely dream of what is before us. Is God trying to scare people into repentance? Absolutely not. We serve the Lord, we give our lives to the Lord because we love him, not because we are afraid of the destruction that is coming. If you serve God out of destruction fear, then your service of God is going to end when the destruction is over. Serve God because he is the only escape for the destruction that is coming upon humanity. We're living at an hour where evil is fueled by a demonic intensity never before seen. Have you seen the media? Have you seen the entertainment? Are you listening to the music? I was raised in a very innocuous society. It was bad in my day, but I was never faced with a society growing up as a teenager where there were warnings on the music labels. I can watch television and most everything I watch is rated G, but nowadays, <laughs> evil angels and evil men are uniting in a coalition against righteousness. And I've even heard lately, this is really troubling to me, that even among those that have held on to this message for many, many years, even among those leaders and preachers that we have looked to for maybe decades saying, this person is reliable and what he is saying can be trusted, I'm beginning to even see among many who are fearful of proclaiming the undiluted gospel, there are ministers that are beginning to dilute what the word of God says and begin to say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't predict a coming Sunday law. And I've asked myself the question, what Bible are you reading? How could you not? I heard a preacher recently say, and I won't mention his name because he's so well known, I've heard a preacher recently say, well, you know, Revelation does 
described that there will be some kind of substitute for God's Sabbath, but it could be any day. And I thought to myself, what are you sniffing? When out of that same mouth, for decades, they've been saying, if you only look at what's happening in our world, the world is being massaged to establish Sunday as a universal day of worship. And I thought to myself, what other day could they be talking about? Are they talking about throwback Thursdays on Facebook? No. Are they talking about TGIF, thank God it's Friday? No. Are they talking about bargain Saturdays at Macy's? No. The only day that has been substituted by the powers led by darkness is the exaltation of the first day of the week, Sunday, over the day that God blessed the Holy Sabbath. That's why I'm not, I'm not diluting or changing my mind. I am going to proclaim more clearly what God's word has predicted. And the Bible reveals that there is a satanic push the reason for this descending darkness is there is a satanic push. Satan is bearing down. And let me make a point. Whoever's, whoever does not have the mind of Christ will succumb to the pressure. What do, I mean, what do I mean by that? If you fear the powers of Rome more than you honor the word of God, you will succumb to the pressure. Somebody sent me an email once and said, do you know... It's against the law to speak against homosexuality. I said, well, it's against the law to speak against a lot of things, but God's word says we got to do it. We're not speaking against the person who is homosexual or lesbian. We're saying that there is salvation for everybody. Can you say amen? For the salvation for the drunkard, for the adulterer, for the thief, for the liar, for every other sin, there is salvation. When we stop preaching the message of salvation and deliverance from sin, we ought to close the doors of the church because it has lost its power. But John in Revelation made it very clear about where we are in the hour that we are facing. He says in Revelation 12 and verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens. He's speaking about the unfallen worlds, about the angels that did not sin. And you who dwell in heaven. But he continues, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, say it together with me, having what? Great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Time is short. Praise God for that. Time is short. I don't want to be down here for 200 more years. <laughs> I wouldn't know it, but I don't want to be down here for 200 more years. I, w I want this thing to wrap up. Anybody else feels the same way? While we're pursuing things that may bring satisfaction to our heart, what I desire more than anything else is not another Grammy Awards, not another Music Awards, not another red carpet event. I want to see the red carpet of heaven unrolled and Jesus come and take us to our eternal home. Because it's not yet as dark as it's going to be, but the question is what preparation should the people of God be making knowing that the dark hour is coming. Well, my wife and I asked ourselves the question, if we knew that there was going to be a blackout this Sabbath afternoon, what would we do differently? And just this week we were in Walmart, in Marion, and I thought to myself, how strange they're selling food in boxes. 
They're saying in the event of some coming crisis, this box will sustain you for 25 days. 25 years, sorry. 25, it has a 25 year shelf life. And this container has a 100 year shelf life. In it are X amount of servings of this food and that food and this food and that food. In the minds of men, people know that something is coming. But I want to tell you when it comes, we're not going to be running with boxes of food on our back. God will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory. If God can feed Elijah with a raven, that's the first Federal Express the Bible ever talked about. God sent some Federal Express food to Elijah when he was running for his life. God can turn the last bit of flour into an abundance that will carry us through any time of famine, any time of disaster, any time of want. God can do it. What difference should there be between us and the world? How should we respond to the knowledge that God has given to us that we are approaching the time of the end? Well, if you study the Bible, you find out the Bible is clear about what the people of God should be doing in this descending hour of darkness. Joel the prophet in Joel chapter 2 gives a directive to those that God has given the trumpet. And look what he says. Look what he instructs the servants of God to do. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. What is the first phrase? Blow the trumpet where? In Zion. That is in the church. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. What a description. For it is at hand. And then he parallels Isaiah the prophet when he says the kind of day it is. It is a day of what? Darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong. The like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. You might say, what is the prophet Joel talking about? What is the prophet Joel describing here? When you read Revelation, you, just, you begin to see a scene that God paints in such vivid colors. And let me bring that to your mind this morning. Turn on your imagination and find out what God is talking about. What Joel is saying he talks about God's army. He talks about the army of the Lord that God is going to allow to be unleashed on humanity. Joel goes on further to talk about them as locusts. Revelation chapter 9 talks about them as locusts. And when you begin to describe and begin to connect what happened in the Bible, you begin to see that on ancient Egypt, God unleashed locusts that ate up all the crops of the Egyptians. But when you read Joel and, and Zephaniah and Revelation, these are not literal locusts that are being talked about in the Bible. In the great controversy, Ellen White says, God is going to give Satan final control of the impenitent and, and evil angels in the form of men will begin to inhabit the earth. God is going to remove the restraint that is being held. 
Praise God that even as we sit here today, God is restraining the devil from what he really wants to do. What do you say? God is holding back. But there's coming a day when there will be no restraint. The forces that God is now holding back will be removed, as Paul in in the book of 2 Thessalonians says, only he who now restrains when he, removed, when he is moved out of the way, when the restraining power of God is removed, then Satan will have control, control of the finally impenitent. What do I mean by that? Those that have refused to repent. And I always ask myself the question, what is there about earth that somebody prefers this over eternity? Think about it. Is it the music? We haven't seen good music yet. Amen. If you think that there are good singers down here, wait till you hear singers that are perfect. And angels that can sing in many keys at one time. And the choirs of the redeemed singing at such volume that the heavens are shaking to the glory of God. I want to be in that number. What about you? Can you say amen? I want to be there when the the praise goes up and the blessings come down. You can't give a Grammy Award to that. And I always wonder, how can you give somebody an award for a religious song? Do you know how many souls that that song brought to Christ? You can never gauge that. But the way of the world has come into the way of the church. Christians are being given awards for the song that they sing to the glory of God. Let me tell you something. If I don't ever get a reward down here or an award down here, I'm okay as long as I get a crown up there. I'm I'm looking beyond this time. You know, Lucifer was a great musician. People forget that. He was the musician of musicians. He was able to sing in many notes at the same time. He was a covering cherub. Music was his gift. And he's using that today. That's why it's important not just to sing Christian songs, but to live a Christian life. When Joel talks about that, Joel is saying, there's only one message that's going to get the world ready. And you've heard me talk about this before, but brethren, there is no other movement on the planet. Let me say this carefully. You've got a great responsibility. There is no other church on this planet that is proclaiming the three angels' messages. So what should we be doing? Proclaiming the what? Three angels' messages. There is no other church on the planet proclaiming the three angels' messages. Why? Because it cuts directly across their practice. How can you worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the fountains of waters, and ignore the Sabbath? It's not possible. Anything that you remove and consider in God's words as irrelevant disqualifies you from proclaiming a message that points people back to worshiping the creator. What should the Seventh-day Adventist church be doing in this hour? As a servant of the Lord, Ellen White says, when it comes to proclaiming the three angels' messages, she says, we should not allow anything else to occupy our attention. Why would that be? If we were working for the emergency broadcast system, And you've heard about that before, right? I think they call us something different now. I got the old phrase. 
But that tone that you hear when you're watching a program or that tone that you hear in your car that interrupts your broadcast. And then you're wishing that it's only a test. And you hold your breath until it's done and they say, this was only a test. Well, brethren, one day is going to come when we're going to hear the tone and they're going to say, this is an actual emergency. And I always wondered, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad we can all say amen on this. I am so glad I don't live in a big city. Because I'm always amazed when they say, let us evacuate in an orderly manner. <laughs> evacuate in an orderly manner? You kidding me? They'll be breaking into stores, ripping off shells. Only the strong will survive. And they prime the minds of people to think that way. Only the strong survive. If ever there's a time, the only way that we can prepare for what is coming is we have to dedicate our lives to the keeping of the Lord who promises, I will supply all of your need according to my riches and glory. In this age of descending darkness, Zephaniah or Zechariah the prophet tells us what we should do, what the people of God should be doing, knowing that preparation is necessary for what is yet ahead of us. Zechariah 10 and verse 1, notice what the first word is. What's the first word? Say it together. Ask. One more time. What is it? Ask who? Ask the Lord. Not your banker, not the president, not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, but ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for what? Zechariah 10 verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the what? latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them what? Showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now, to whom is this promise being made? When you give your life to the Lord, let me make this very clear. When you live for the glory of God, when you say there's nothing more important to me than getting ready for the coming of the Lord, the Lord is saying, I will send you the rain. God is not going to send the rain for those who are not looking for it. In other words, your field may be dry, your heart may be dry, your life may be dry, but when you pray, Lord Jesus, send the rain, God is going to send showers of blessing. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means what the antediluvians failed to do in their day, God will do for those of us who call on him in our day. What does that mean? The Bible says in their day, in Genesis 6, I believe it's verse 5, the Bible says, the Lord said, my spirit will not always strive with man. Do you know, brethren, and somebody has said this before, there will never be a time that the people of God will not be protected by the presence and power of the spirit of God in their lives. Can you say amen? However, the Holy Spirit will not always strive with humanity. The day is coming when those who are hearing the Spirit speak to them now and they're turning him off. The day is coming that God will no longer broadcast to them. God will no longer say to your neighbors, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Give your life to the Lord. Repent of your sins. Turn your life over to Christ. And there are people that don't want to be lost, but they're saying, well, not now. Got a little bit more time. Young folk, don't think that your young age is permission to, to put God off. 
Because young folk are dying too. People are dying at every age, every moment of every day. If we make it to the end of another day, we can praise God for that. But God is saying the latter rain will empower the preaching of the final message. And I don't want to just preach this message and hear, praise God for satellite transmission and internet and all of that other stuff. But God is saying that we can cover more bases. All of us collectively can cover more bases than Pastor John can by himself. What am I saying to you? You should have in your possession at all times a track, some kind of brochure, maybe in your trunk of your car, a box of three angels messages booklet so that when you pull up to a restaurant or you go to Walmart, there's some people that do that, like Bob Eads does that. A number of other people that say, you know, Don and Janelle, you know, they'll go to Walmart and they'll put tracks in the bathroom and they'll put them at gas stations. Brethren, we should be ready at all time to let the world know that Jesus is coming again. But there's a danger. When this message becomes so familiar to you that you say, I've heard it before, it will lose its impact on your life. When you get used to hearing the message and it starts sounding like the adult's voice in a Charlie Brown movie, wah, 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 wah. When it starts sounding that way and it's lost the thrill down in your soul, God is going to come at an hour that you do not think and he says he's going to appoint you your portion with the hypocrites because you're going to say, my Lord delayeth his coming. And the Lord says, watch, for in such an hour as you do not think, brethren, if ever there was a time that the people of God need to be awake, it is this morning. What do you say? It is today. And awake should not, awake and excited is not the same thing. Awake and uh, hyper is not the same thing. Some people think that if I don't have, if I'm not jumping up and down and all enthusiastic, then I'm not awake. No. A soldier better not be jumping up and down at his post. God is saying that we ought to be awake. What does that mean? That we ought to keep one eye single, our minds focused, and my favorite term, calibrated. Our minds calibrated to the times. That's why when I hear the news, the world hears one thing, I hear something altogether different. The world hears, well, the water supply is, is, is low in Colorado. I hear there shall be famines and pestilences. Hundreds of earthquakes happened in California just in a few days. There shall be earthquakes in various places. Famine. Forest land, as Joel was sharing with me, in Brazil, they've lost more, more farmable land in the month of May than at any other time. Why? What's happening? Some of you may not know that some of the largest desert in Northwest Africa used to be some of the most fertile land, but what happened? Deforestation. Men are killing themselves, and the planet that we're on is getting to the point where it cannot permanently sustain its inhabitants. And that's why people are fearful. Are they trying to kill us? Are they trying to eliminate us? Is the medical institutions trying to get rid of us through this and through that? Brethren, God will sustain his people. There is nothing that man can do to us that God will not allow. 
But the last day church needs to pray for power. We don't need to pray for just clear doctrinal understanding. We need to pray for power. We don't just need to pray for, I understand that doctrine or I understand that prophecy. We need to pray for the power that galvanized the New Testament church. Somebody sent me an email and they said to me, Pastor John, I heard you preaching about unity, but how can the church ever be unified when they have this position over there and that position over there? I say, you know what? That's not my responsibility. God knows how to separate the wheat from the tare. So those, are not, those, will not, those who will not be galvanized as the disciples were on the day of Pentecost, those who will not be in one accord in one place as on the day of Pentecost, God knows those who are in it for one reason or the other. It's not my responsibility. But the Lord made it very clear, this work will not be done without the power of God. Look at Zechariah 4 and verse 6. What galvanized the church then will galvanize the church today. Zechariah 4, 6. So he answered and said to me, when he speaks about the lampstands, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Let's say the last part together. Not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit, says the Lord. The day is coming when there will be no more transmissions. There will be no more satellite transmissions. The people of God are going to be on the streets proclaiming the gospel. How? Did you miss Isaiah? When the world is dark, God will allow his glory to be seen upon his saints. Ah, you didn't get that. That means God is going to turn on this. God is going to turn on the same light that caused Aaron and Miriam to say to Moses, we can't look at your face. It's the same glory that's going to encapsulate the people of God on the last days. God is going to turn the light on and they're going to say, he has been, she has been in the presence of almighty God. They said, when that happens, when that happens, there is going to be a unity a unity that the world has never known, a unity that the church has never known, a unity that's going to take us from church members to those who are proclaiming the final message. I cannot wait. The Lord knows it. And I know that he's more patient than I am, but I can't wait to the day when this church is so on fire for Christ that they are taking advantage of every opportunity when the word of God goes forth that they are going to be there. It's going to come. I saw it on a Baptist church sign many years ago, repent now and avoid the rush. Because it's going to come. You know what happens? When it's no longer available is when people start looking for it. But the outpouring of the latter rain is going to be in response to those praying. It's not going to be incidental. It's not going to be a it's not going to be something that just happens. It is going to happen when the people of God get together and pray. And so my brother, my sister, I ask you, how much do you pray for the Holy Spirit during the week? I can guarantee you, if you're not praying for the Holy Spirit to fill your life, your religion is going to be like an old loaf of dried up bread. You got bread, but nobody wants it because it's molded. When your religious experience, when the doctrines you believe start to mold in your life, it's because the moistening presence of the Spirit of God is not being poured into you every day. Do you pray for the Spirit of God? 
Somebody say, why should I pray for that? Well, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The church was imbued on the day of Pentecost with a power that they did not naturally know. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. The Bible makes it clear. The outpouring of the latter rain was a response, not a prelude. What am I saying? The Lord did not pour out the latter rain to get them to pray. The Lord poured out the latter rain because they were praying. So if you're not praying for the latter rain, it's not going to come. The Lord didn't pour out his spirit to get them to pray. He poured out his spirit because they prayed. How often do you pray? Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. It talks about this grand day of unity, and it brings about diverse personalities. And I can guarantee you, not one of us is just like the other, but God can bring about unity in spite of our diversity. Verse 12 of Acts 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. The first thing, you got to come back to the church. They returned to Jerusalem. Watch this. Which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey that's about a half a mile. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Who was there? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Verse 14, these all continued together with one accord in what? Prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What a group of people. They got together to pray. Let me, let me make a very important point here. This is powerful. If you're not praying for the Spirit of God to come into your life, if you're not praying for the Holy Ghost to come into your life, you can still know all the doctrines and be as dead as a pig at a luau. I don't know if I got the two together. I don't know if I did I get that right. Whatever they, whatever they call it. When he's spinning around in the sand of Hawaii. I don't know what they call it. Was I correct? Thank you. We can have all the doctrinal knowledge and still be as dry as the hills of Gilboa. But when you pray... The Lord promises to do something in a world that is being drained of life. Heaven is saying the church should be searching for the source of its power and praying that the God who promises to fill our lives will do so in response to our prayer. God will never do it if we're not praying for it. God will never send what we're not asking for. God will never intervene where we're not inviting him. What does the Lord promise to do? What does he promise to do to those who are inviting him? Look at Ezekiel chapter 37. What does he promise to do? And this is more appropriate to the church of Laodicea than any other time. Because the church of Laodicea parlays Ezekiel 37. It was just a valley of dry bones. But look what the Lord promised to do. Ezekiel 37 verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. <laughs> okay, do something for me. Look to your neighbor and say, bones. 
<laughs> yeah, we're all bones. We're all bones without the Lord, am I right? Because the Lord is saying to Ezekiel, talk to the bones. Now don't be upset, but Sabbath, some Sabbath mornings, I, preach, I feel like I'm preaching to bones. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. What is the next word? Surely. What's the next word? Surely me. Positively, you can count on it. I will cause breath to enter into you. Today, my brothers and sisters, we need to pray for the breath of God to enter our lives. And what's going to happen? You shall live. That means if you think that doctrinal understanding is life, you wait for doctrinal understanding, scriptural integrity, and a life filled by the Spirit of God. You'll understand only then what life is all about. Life is not winning a lottery or getting a temporary award. Life is knowing that your life is filled and the Lord is getting you ready. He's filling you with what you need to be prepared for the, word, for the road ahead of us and for the trial that's coming. Only those that are filled by the Spirit of God will make it through the trying hour that's just upon us. Well, what else is he going to do? Look at verse 6. I will put sinew on you and bring flesh upon you. What does that mean? I'm going to cover the dead things in your life with those things that live. I'm going to begin to replace the dead things in your life. I will bring flesh upon you. I will put sinew, that is all the tendons and the muscles. I'll put that there and your life will be activated. It'll be a Christian experience. I'm looking forward to the day when I can see what I refer to as a person who is so excited about Jesus that they look for opportunities to present Jesus to someone. I'm going to cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And then he says, what's the very next word? Then after he's done all that, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel is painting a picture that's far beyond human vitality, far beyond natural ability. He is saying to the church in this, these closing hours, and this is really humbling to me, he is saying, at a time when we have every inventive device that we need, think about it for a moment. What else do we need? What else does the church, what else does the world need? What new invention do we need that could bring us happiness? Nothing else. Nothing else is going to bring us lasting happiness. So when the next iPad comes out, or the next iPhone, and the next laptop, or the next car, or the next exciting device what comes out is going to have excitement for this amount of time until the next one comes out. And that's going to be exciting until the next one comes out. You know how I know? I'm one of those guys. Come on, somebody else, confess. Yeah, I get excited when they say, hey, look at this new, uh, I got a survey yesterday. Ricky, you could appreciate this from Adobe. They said, we notice you use our products. That's how I make my backgrounds. What else can we do? What else can we add to the product to make it better for you? And I thought, man, what else can you do? It's good where it is. But you know what they're doing? Listen to this. Companies are continually seeking ways to make the experience of their users better. 
Do you, not, do you not think that the Lord is looking for the same thing? He is continually seeking ways to make the experience of his children better. But he's saying, here's how it happens. It doesn't happen by just a new thing, but it happens by a life praying to be filled, to be covered, to be empowered by the breath that God wants to put in our lives. I thought so. Look what evangelism says. Evangelism, page 699, paragraph 5. As the time comes for it, the message of the third angel to be given with greatest power. What kind of power? Greatest power. The Lord will work through humble instruments. Leading the minds of those who do what? Consecrate themselves to his service. And this is a powerful part right here. The laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions. Men of faith and prayer will be constrained to go forth with holy zeal, declaring the words which God gives them. What is he saying? Let me tell you what he's not saying. Servant of the Lord is not saying that education is useless, but she's saying, don't just trust education. If you are not imbued by the power of the spirit of God, you may have the intellect, but you don't have the power. Meaning you could have a food supply that, that is second to none, but if you don't partake of it, you'll die of hunger. You can have a message that is so increasingly exciting. And when I, whenever I think sometimes that, that, that the church has kind of lost its zeal, I run into new people. I run into new people. I like to meet people that just heard about this message. When I get letters from them or talk to them on the phone or talk to them through Zoom, I get excited. Like the gentleman that gave his life back to the Lord after 60 years of running from God. He says, when we said 2020 was the worst year of our lives, you know what he says? 2020 was the best year of my life. Because it took that to get me to realize that this is the hour to come back to Jesus. Somebody ought to say amen. I get excited when I hear about people that were in darkness for 35 and 40 years and they never were allowed to pray. Now they give their lives to Christ. They leave one movement and come to the Advent message and they say, I was prevented from praying for 40 years in my denomination, but now I'm a prayer warrior in the Adventist church. I love to pray and nobody could stop me from praying now. Can somebody say amen? You know what happened? They found something new. But it frightens me because years ago I read a little story in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, these old church bulletins. They have stories that were published in old church bulletins. And this was one that was, um, don't remember, don't remember exactly where I read the story. Don't remember, but I, I remember the story itself when a, a, a lady was standing up in church and she was saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And one of the elders at the door standing by the pastor said, what's wrong with her? And the pastor said, don't worry, give her time. She'll become just like one of us. Oh. 
Revelation's message to the church of Laodicea is true. The world is saying, this is what you need. That's what you need. This is what will make you happy. That's what's going to bring satisfaction. The Lord is saying the only thing that's going to bring you power and satisfaction is a life dedicated and filled to the glory of God, a life empowered to do what only the Holy Spirit can qualify us to do. We get excited about the day of Pentecost. Do you not think that the Lord wants to do the same thing today? Look at Acts 1 and verse 8. What happened on the day of Pentecost? It's going to happen again today. The Lord said to the disciples then, but you shall receive what, my friends? When you shall receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's going to happen then? I would say today, the reason why we are not witnessing is because we're not praying for the power of the Spirit of God to come upon us. You cannot be a witness unless the Spirit of God in power comes upon you. You can't do it because you have great material. You got to say, Lord, and what does the Spirit of God do? Let me finish the text. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. Meaning when the spirit of God comes upon a life, no boundary can prevent that person from communicating the gospel through voice and through life. What does it mean? What does it mean? It's saying that Laodicea is rich and increased with goods and feel we have need of nothing. And I'm listening around us. My wife and I, we get shocked when we look at some of the things that are happening in the world church today. Leaders that we thought we could rely on going in different directions. People saying this doesn't matter and that doesn't matter. And this is no longer imperative. And that's old. And this has been replaced. And we're saying to ourselves, what on earth are we hearing? We're hearing that the bright lights that we have admired, admired for their brilliance is beginning to go out around us. But there's only one light that will never go out, and that's the light of Jesus Christ. In Signs of the Times, February 17th, 1914, this is a beautiful quotation. Christians, ask in faith for the promised blessing, and it will come. Let's read that one more time. Ask in faith for the promised blessing, and what will happen? It will come. The outpouring of the Spirit in the, day of, of, in the days of the apostles was the former rain, and the glorious and glorious was the result. But the latter rain will be what? More abundant. What happened back then? What happened back then? Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 1, these words. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with what? One accord in one place. The first impact of the outpouring of the Spirit of God is what? We are harmonious. We are together. We are not divided. We are united. We are praying to be one with each other. What does that mean? That means when we look at our differences, we, we go to each other and say, my brother, my sister, do I have anything against you? Do you have anything against me? We pray for God to evaporate those walls and we become one in Christ. But you know what prevents that? Human pride, putting self aside, putting down the things that we think are important and holding on to those things that are only important to Christ. When Jesus prayed that we may be one, the only way that we can be one is the way that they were one on the day of Pentecost. They were in one accord because the Spirit of God was poured into their lives. 
And what happens when it affects us? Look at Acts 2 and verse 41. Then those who gladly received the word were what? Baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. God can exponentially grow the church when we are in harmony. Why? Because when people say, as somebody once said, I've never seen a message like this. I've never heard a message like this. The Lord is saying, we got one more step to go up. I've never seen a people like this. The message is all powerful. But when the Lord added to the church 3,000 in a day, the evidence of that was in verse 44 of Acts chapter 2. How did that happen? How did that happen? Now all who believed were what? Together and had all things in common. We need to have all night prayer meeting at this church. Did you hear what I said? We need to have all night prayer meeting at this church. I'm going to set a date that we can have all night prayer meeting. You know what that means? If you forgot, all night prayer meeting means we pray from sunset to sunrise. We take turns praying. We put our lives before the Lord. We pray for God to break down the strongholds in our families, for God to break down the strongholds in our children, for God to break down the strongholds in our marriage, for God to break down the strongholds in our lives. You cannot find victory unless you begin to pray. Pray as though your life depends on it. As somebody once said, we have Bible workers in New York City. This now made it around the nation. They had a button on that says push. People say, what does push mean? Pray until something happens. Not a time where we get together and talk about church politics, but a time where we come and put ourselves before the Lord. And we haven't had one of those in a long time, Joe. I remember those days we prayed all night long, and when the sun was coming up, the church got together, and we all sit outside the church, and we gathered around, and we took all those prayers and we put them in a bundle together and we lit them on fire and we prayed as the smoke ascended. God, accept our prayers, change our lives. But God is looking for a church that wants that power again. Do you want that power in your life? It doesn't happen without praying. Unity doesn't happen because we have intellectual abilities. Unity happened because the Spirit of God takes a hold of our lives. Testimonies, volume 7, page 236 the servant of the Lord says, it is God's purpose that men entrusted with responsibility should counsel and pray together in Christian unity. Listen to this. In unity, there is a life, a power that can be obtained, what? In no other way. There will be a vast power in the church. How? When the energies of the members are united under the control of the Spirit, then will God be able to work mightily through his people for the conversion of sinners. Where are your energies? Are you pushing together? Or are we pulling in all different directions? We're looking for something that will not satisfy my brother, my sister. Don't look for things that will disappoint you. You spend your life and time and energy pursuing that which will disappoint you one day when God is saying, I am right here. It's like the days in the Jewish nation. They were, they were, they were, they were 
complimenting their gigantic temple that took 40 years to build. And the Lord said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought he meant the building. Then he said to them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that testify of me. He was the living word and they missed him. My brother and sister, could it be happening in your life? Could we be building our faith on our institutions, our temples, our, our massive universities and our hospitals and our colleges and our, and our medical institutions? Could we be building our security on the boast that we have the largest of this and the largest of that? Just like the Jews said, we have the greatest temple. It never came down. And the Lord said, it's coming down. The only thing that will not come down is a life filled by the indwelling power of the word of God and make no mistake about it. The new Testament church went through violent opposition, but what happened in spite of that violent opposition, in spite of everything that Satan threw at it, look what the Bible says happened to the new Testament church acts four and verse four. The Bible says, however, I love that phrase. However, many of those who heard the word did what believed and the number of the men came to be what? About 5,000. The church went through violent opposition. Are we going through violent opposition? Is anybody trying to break into our doors, trying to stop us from gathering to worship? No, but the day is coming. The powers around us are preparing to shut down that which does not harmonize with societal preferences. <laughs> People nowadays are saying, hey, the preaching about the mark of the beast is out of date. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear about their next successful investment. The next successful investment you're going to have is if you invest your life in believing the word of God. That's a successful investment. The apostles were fiercely resisted, but the church kept growing. Why? Acts 5 and verse 14. Notice what the Bible says. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and of what? and of women. Why did God do that? Just imagine for me for a moment as I close. Just imagine a day of Pentecost taking place here in Thompsonville. Just imagine Pentecost in every corner of the globe. Just imagine God pouring out his spirit all over the planet. Traditions will be surrendered and the word of God will be accepted. The light of hope will be rekindled. And the light of discouragement will be removed. Men and women will find in Christ that which they have missed that's right before their eyes. Repetitious dogma will be traded for a life surrendered to nobody but Jesus. And self will finally be put to death and Christ alone will be reigning on the hearts of our lives. Why am I preaching this way? Because the coming world blackout is near. There will be a day that the power will be shut off and no longer available. And we will see before us everything we need, but we will have no access to it. And like my wife and I could have done, we could be banging on the doors of our own house. And the only voice that we will hear is, I don't know you. But God wants to ignite his church for this reason. John 10, 16, other sheep I have, 
which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. God is saying, the way that they will hear my voice is through your voice. The way they hear my voice is through my word, but I need some body that's going to go. Remember, he asked Isaiah, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Are you praying that prayer? Or do you think it's a spiritual impossibility? There's no greater lie that the devil has told you than that you can't make a difference. Can I say that? What if Bill Gates believed he could never make a difference? What if Steve Jobs said, man, this is just an idea, but it will never take off. What if Benjamin Franklin said, you know, I know that's lightning, but we'll never be able to harness that. The power of one. What if Jesus said, yeah, they need help, but I'm not going down there. The power of one. Don't ever think that you are insignificant to God. Your life is a life that God wants to empower. If you think that he can't use one, what did he do with Moses? He led millions of Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. God wants to do the same today. He turned the world upside down through men and women who knew that the power of one makes a difference. If Martin Luther did not catapult the Protestant Reformation, we would still be under the bondage of Rome today. A great possibility. But the power of one, you think your life doesn't make a difference because you don't have this and that. What you need more than anything else is, Father, supply my need. God will supply the need when he extends to you the challenge to be his mouthpiece. How do I know that? I'm a witness to that. My wife and I prayed seven days in a row on our faces in our apartment with only one bed and one chair, a two-bedroom apartment with one bed that we, we had no bedhead. We had one chair in our living room, a $25 chair we bought as a yard sale. We couldn't get credit for furniture, but we prayed, Father, open the door for us in ministry. We prayed seven days in a row. Am I right, honey? We prayed on our bed. We knelt on our bed. We're like Muslims, our face to the bed. Father, we don't want to do this for the rest of our lives. Please open the door in ministry. We got a phone call on the eighth day from California, 3,000 plus miles away, from a man I never met, saying that God has opened the door for you in evangelism. Are you interested? I'm telling you, I'm here today because we prayed. I'm still here today because we never stopped praying. If you think that prayer doesn't make a difference, if you think that one life could not make a difference, this big building is here today because Danny stopped, didn't stop praying. The power of one. And God wants to do the same in your life. He may not build up another building to your memory, but God wants to do something in you that he cannot do in me, that he did not do in Danny's life, that he did not do in Elder Brooks' life and other people's lives. He has a call on you alone that he wants to accomplish, but you've got to pray. And then there's one last thing you've got to do. You've got to understand what worship is all about. The heart of Jesus will follow the invitation. John 4 and verse 23, but the hour is coming. When the hour of darkness comes, this hour has to come first in your life. But the hour is coming. Before the darkness comes, I pray that this hour would come in your life. The hour is coming and now is. When the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. Amen, church. The day of Pentecost was intended to find a people searching for Jesus and draw them to him by worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We've got truth, but we need the Holy Spirit in our lives individually. The world as it has become will not turn, will not return to what it used to be. It's going to be continue going the way it's going. Instability, insecurity, unemployment, morally crumbling society, racial division, ravaging disease, and social mistrust. It's all an indication that the coming world blackout is not far away. And we are living in the most pivotal hour in the history of the world. Everybody's destiny is about to be decided for eternity. Life or death for earth's inhabitants. No one is exempt. Everyone must choose a side. But we need Jesus as our friend. In this hour of darkness, we need Jesus as our friend. I want to make an appeal today. And I want to make an intentional appeal. Today, the Spirit of God might have said to you, Young man, young lady, brother, sister, whomever you may be, God is calling you today to take a, a step of faith in your life. And you want to be one of God's remnant people to stand firm in the closing hours of earth's history. But today you want to make that decision. Father, I don't know what the future holds, but I know I want to be in that redeemed number. I know I want to be one of those that you use in the last days to draw somebody from darkness to this marvelous light. My first appeal is for those that have not yet become a part of this church family. You may be attending here. You may have come through the doors and God has been speaking to your life, but you're saying by faith today, I want to go different. I want to go in a different direction. I want my life to be an intentional decision. I want to be clear about where I'm headed. If you want to be a part of this fellowship today and you want me to pray for you today, I would like you to stand. I'd like you to stand. Now, wait a minute. If you're already, if you're already baptized, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to somebody who has not yet become a baptized member of this family. You may have been baptized before, but you say, by profession of faith, I want to unite myself with God's remnant church. I want to be a part of those who proclaim this message before the coming world blackout. And today you're asking me to pray for you to make that decision. I want you to stand where you are. It's not about anybody else. It's just about you and God. It's not about anyone else. It's just about you and the Lord. Is there someone here today that wants to make that decision? But somebody might say, Pastor, what about the things that I have to deal with on a daily basis? You can't deal with them without the Spirit of God guiding your life. You could try, but you're going to fail. You can try to make those decisions, but you're going to be operating in darkness. God wants to ignite your life. God wants to empower you and give you grace to stand. Our deacons have in their hand a white card. If you're asking for the Lord to come into your life and empower you this morning, this card has decisions on it that you need to make. 
If you want to know what those decisions are, just raise your hand where you may be. And you want one of these cards. I want you to have one of these in your hand. They're decisions that you need to make in your life. And while you're praying about it and thinking about it, let me say one other thing. This is the moment that the devil makes you feel that this is the most fearful thing you could ever do. He's a liar. He's lying to you right now saying, don't do that. My life will change. I won't know what to do. What do I do after I give my life to Jesus? Leave that up to him. That's not your responsibility. You don't have to worry about what happens in your life after you give your life to Jesus. I want to be friends with the one who knows, the one who can move and shake. Jesus is the only mover and the shaker in the universe. He's the provider. He is our supplier. He is the one that wants to save us. Today, my brother, my sister, says, I'd like to more information about becoming a follower of Jesus, about baptism, about membership, about Bible study, about visitation. If any one of those fall into the category of your desire, would you raise your hand this morning? We'll get a card to you. My second appeal. You're saying, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. We need the Holy Spirit in our marriage. We need the Holy Spirit in our home. I want the Holy Spirit to empower my life. This morning, if that is your desire, would you stand where you are? Praying for the friend named Jesus to empower and transform your life. We could say, oh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I know about this and I know about that and I know about this. But do you know Jesus? Is his spirit active in your life? Are you living beyond the challenges of life? Are you finding the security that you need? The devil's lying to you today and saying, you've got more time, don't worry about it, everything is okay. And while the world is heading for a blackout, God is saying, I want to turn up the light in the life of my children. I want to get them ready for what is coming. Somebody may be standing that says, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord through rebaptism. I've wandered far away from God, and I want to give my life back to Him. But I feel so strange that somehow it just seems like I fail and I fail, but God understands. Let me tell you, my brother, my sister, God knows where you are. God knows what you face, and He's willing to bring you to the foot of the cross with all your faults and all your failures. That's God's responsibility. If you need a new start, would you raise your hand with me? If you need a new start in your life somewhere, would you raise your hand? Young folk, in my final appeal, if you want this friend named Jesus to be your friend, to be the God of your daily life, would you raise your hand with me? I think we all should be raising our hands. We want that friend, Jesus, to be in our lives. We want him to be the power in our daily lives, to speak to us, to talk to us. We could do all the religious things but still miss that friendship. I don't want the Lord to be on the outside knocking on my door saying, if you hear me, let me in. I want to have that friendship. 
that undeniable friendship to bond families, parents with children, husbands with wives, family members together, bring the unity where there's now conflict and bondage and difficulty. And right now I'm going to pray that the people of God would have their minds fixed and that their hearts will desire what Jesus Christ has made available for every one of us. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, this morning, we need to have a friend in Jesus. Oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Yes, we do. Is there trouble everywhere? Yes, there is. You told us we will never be forsaken if we take it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I'm praying today for a heart transformation, a life transformation, a mind dedication, an empowerment to each of us individually and to the church collectively. And we can go forth and make active choices in our lives to be ready for the coming blackout. It's coming. You've told us. We believe it. We see the evidence of it. We must be ready, Father. Push us aside and fill us with your almighty Spirit of God that will lay the human side of us in the dust and empower us to be at one with each other, to be unified, to love one another. And then we can go forth as a united army bringing people to a knowledge of this grand message, to the saving grace, to the forgiveness of sin, to the restoration of broken hearts and broken lives. Do this, Father, for you have promised. But may we do our part in coming to the author and finisher of our faith. And this we ask. And for those this morning, Lord, that are dedicating their hearts, may they know the enemy is still lying to them. May they not wait another moment, another hour, another day, another month, for time is not guaranteed. May they make that eternal decision to dedicate their hearts and lives to you alone and be ready that when the lights go out, our lights will shine to your glory and your honor. And this I pray in the worthy name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen.